the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, and Danny welcome Cannell, back and to the Cover Bud 3 Elliott. Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell, that's Bud Elliott, that's Tom Fernelli, I'm Chip Patterson, coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover3 and everywhere you get your podcast on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe, smash that like, and come and join us in the chat, aka the Cover 3 tailgate. Where? We already have a lot of questions. We've got some breaking news as of Monday morning that pertains to one of our biggest topics of the day. We will, as promised, be running back some of our thoughts on Iowa hiring Kevin Jones. No, what? Oh, no, they didn't hire Kevin Johns. Okay, so we've got a new Iowa offensive coordinator. It does appear that that uh, process is over. Uh, a family friend of sorts of the Cover 3 podcast is also going to be back on the sidelines. But... We begin with the biggest story uh, in college football right now, which was on Friday afternoon. It was made official that Sharon Moore will take over the Michigan football program after serving as uh, offensive coordinator for the Wolverines and an interim head coach for four different games, including those consequential wins against Penn State and Ohio State at the end of the year. That lots to get to that we're going to try to tackle here, especially the staff. I mentioned that breaking news. We're starting to get a better idea of what that staff might look like, who's going with Harbaugh to Los Angeles to join the Chargers. Uh, big decisions ahead for more. But Danny, just in terms of the the big picture of it all, it, it seemed obvious, right? But where where are you with Michigan's decision to promote more? What do you think it says uh, about either more or the Wolverines football program where it's at right now? Um, it made sense, right? It just seemed all too easy. Um. Like, don't, I mean, I think the criticism would have been on Ward Manual if he had gone outside, like you open up the yourself to, you know, losing a mass, you know, exodus of players. I think from that standpoint, if you just watch what happened to Bama, I mean, it's Bama and they had players leaving, good quality players. You're probably thinking, hmm, that could be us too. But also, I mean, just all of it, life is about timing. Sharon Moore had four games as an interim coach, which were essentially could have looked at him as a, you know, on the job interview process that he was going through. No one else gets that luxury, you know, that isn't hired from within. So when Harbaugh goes and you've got multiple players, Zach Center telling Ward Manuel, that's our guy, players vocal about it. 
I think you did run the risk of losing a lot of players had you gone outside. So it just seemed like, I don't want to say easy because that seems like it diminishes it, but I think it was the most commonsensical you know, move that you could see for Michigan. I think it was a pretty easy move for Ward Manuel. They should know. I mean, they, they've had how much exposure to Sharon Moore? A ton. He even has high experience. Right? Like he, he comes over in 2018. Am I right about that? You, you promoted him every step of the way. Yeah. He was originally the tight ends coach. Then he became the offensive line coach. <laughs> then he became the O-line coach slash, you know, OC. He's the guy Harbaugh recommended. I, I, I think if they had not promoted Sharon Moore, we would be having the conversation like, ooh, wait, what, what do they know that we don't? Mm. Right now, just because they have superior information on Moore doesn't mean he's going to work out. But it was the obvious choice because, well, because he had done a really good job there in, in all the roles that he had had. Uh, it's a bit of a risk because I don't think he would have got another major job, like not a Purdue, like he was in the running for last year. But like, it, you know, if, if Bama opened or if like an LSU opened or something like that, he he wouldn't get mentioned. But again. Those schools don't have the information edge because he was not an employee of theirs. They should know, and I think that sort of gives me confidence that it will work out. Yeah, I mean, it it made all the sense. It didn't really I, – I felt like conducting a coaching search at this point would have probably been silly because it's, it's not like – you know, I don't know if Saban told anybody at Alabama his plans before he retired – like maybe they were kind of caught off guard by it just as much as anybody else. I don't think he would do that. Like I think he would probably let the AD know and they kept it quiet. But it's not like anybody was caught by surprise in Ann Arbor about Jim Harbaugh leaving for an NFL job. We've been talking about it on this show for three or four years, the possibility of it happening, the fact that you know, they had the contract on the table. It was never agreed to. They were putting the clause in there that says you can't take an NFL job for at least whatever year. Like Jim has not been you know he's had a thousand chances to say nah i'm not leaving for the nfl and he never did so like you kind of understood what was going on so yeah like the suspensions this year giving sharon more the chance to be the interim coach and be there on game day and run the operation even if jim was around during the week that gives you information on him being in the building every day like you're saying but that gives you information on him it's clear the players like him it's clear that he's a good coach and also like was he a co-oc with gaddis at one point Mm -hmm. Or was Gaddis yeah. the OC? Yeah, and Gaddis won the Broyles, and then he was gone. Like, <laughs> Moore didn't – it wasn't Moore who was gone. It was Gaddis who was gone. So that kind of gives you a feel of how the rest of the coaching staff maybe felt about it. And then if you listen to what Jim Harbaugh said about the hire over the weekend too, it's clear Jim Harbaugh thinks he was the guy that they should replace him with. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think – it doesn't mean it's going to work out. It just means that this was the no-duh hire for them right now. Do you remember when Gaddis won the Broyles Award? He had gotten the play calling duties like taken away from him. Yeah, which was kind of <laughs> crazy because he wins this award, and I think it went to more Harbaugh, Sharon Moore, but Gaddis had, I guess, because he was newer. You know, I guess that was what it was about. But I remember because well, he'd been taken from Alabama. Like that was right. there was a narrative about him as a rising star where it was like he had Harbaugh had you know taken him from Alabama and then you know the narrative continued with oh and Miami backed up the truck and got him out of Ann Arbor and now he's on Loxley's staff at Maryland. So different. Do you you I, mentioned Tom um I don't doesn't know if it's going to work. I think it gives them a pretty good chance 
of maintaining. I don't know if they're going to be winning the Big Ten for a fourth year in a row. It's not going to be my prediction. But there is something about the way this roster has been constructed, the way that the team itself likes to handle its business, that in promoting Sharon Moore, and y'all see his new new little moniker, smash. It's like like it started as something when he was just coaching up the offensive line, and he said then the whole offense took it as an identity, and now this is going to be like his charge to the Wolverines team that he is taking over. I loved that Sharon Moore said, I'm not going to be Jim Harbaugh. You know, like, and that was a very clear message from the press conference on Saturday. I'm going to try to put my spin on it. And his spin as the former offensive line coach who has built up a Big Ten champion and national champion that wins at the line of scrimmage, like, smash. Like, you know what that would not have worked? Like, hey, we're going to bring in an air raid coach, right? Like, we're going yeah. to <laughs> go take one of these hot offensive coordinators and let him take over this Michigan roster that has been built and developed to win at the line of scrimmage. So long-term picture, you know, eight, nine, ten years down the line, I have no idea. But I do think promoting Sharon Moore gives Michigan the best chance to maintain everything that they have gained in their climb to the top of college football. It will be very difficult to win a national championship again. They are losing a ton of super important guys and super important coaches. But uh, I like it for that reason. You have, you've gotten to this level. Don't try to all of a sudden go in a different direction. This helps you keep the identity of the program moving forward. It, is your opinion of Michigan in 2024 significantly different if Harbaugh had remained the coach? No, not if the not if the same players that left left. Like if JJ right. McCarthy's gone, no. That's if JJ McCarthy comes back for another year with Jim Harbaugh, yes. When we did our way too early top 25, Tom threw Michigan at five, but then he tacked on, and if Harbaugh's not there, it might go down a few spots. But like Tom, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's not like you're dropping them outside of a top 10. Oh, I'm dropping them out of the top 50 now. Yeah, right. no, yeah, they, I move them down to like seven or eight. Right. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I, it's going to be interesting to judge this as a success after the first year because I don't think there's any way you can replicate what Harbaugh did the last three years. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's going to get harder because Ohio State just boosted up their whole roster. It's going to get harder because you have Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA coming. It's going to continue to get harder as we still try to navigate through NIL. Like, everything got harder. So, like, Harbaugh, I don't think this was what it was about, but I do think him and Saban leaving at the same time made their decisions a lot easier because of all that. You ready to get into it? Are you guys seeing all the stuff in the chat of like uh, Ward Manuel botched this? He didn't put the he didn't agree to the closet. Guys, I, Harbaugh has clearly wanted to leave Michigan and go to the NFL for many years in a row. Like the Vikings wouldn't hire him. He didn't turn down the Vikings. They told him no. So I, I, I think I'm not saying that Ward Manuel is some amazing athletic director. I, I don't I don't know the guy. I, the track record is fine, uh, but I don't think there's anything he could have done to get Jim Harbaugh to stay, right? I think he's catching the, this is psychoanalyzing a fan base, which is a horrible idea, but I think he is catching the sadness and the mad and the, the negative energy of just like Jim Harbaugh's gone because they can't blame the guy who just won him a national championship. Right. And so you, you blame the athletic director for not being able to hold it down as though he ever really had a chance in the first place. When according to all the reporting, they bent on everything that Harbaugh and his team or camp, we're asking for contractually. There was the last report that Detroit, I think it was the Detroit Free Press put out that said they finally caved on some of the NCAA concessions, mm-hmm. but it was too late. Like Harbaugh mm-hmm. was gone. So that's what the people are going to, that people that want to think Ward Manuel screwed this up are going to latch onto that. 
And and look, if it doesn't work out with Sharon Moore and Harbaugh crushes it with the Chargers, I think Ward Manuel probably takes a brunt of the criticism. Mm. All right, so let's get to the staff side of this. It is the most interesting and also the most urgent as there are reports uh, coming out of Ann Arbor this morning in terms of other names that might be joining Jim Harbaugh in the NFL. So I've got a list. I've got them sorted into gone, probably gone, possibly gone, and unknown. I, and I want to want to test all this because this morning we get reports that Ben Herbert, strength and conditioning coach, gone. is gone. Jesse Minter's gone, right? Gone. Rick Minter, probably. Jesse's dad. He was the linebackers coach. Like I don't probably, but you don't know for sure. You don't know for sure. Um, but I know you were discussing uh, Herbert this morning heading into the show. Does that feel as significant as Minter? It it does to me, um, because so much of your culture, I, I think, and, and and how you work as a program is is top down from the strength coach because he's the guy that spends the most time with you, you know, throughout the off season and, and really kind of establishing that culture and your identity as a team. So he was really an extension of, of Jim Harbaugh. It'll be interesting to see who Sharon Moore picks. And I'm not going to tell you I know like how to evaluate who the strength coach is and, and whatnot, unless just somebody in the industry said, hey, this guy's a real dude. He's really important to us. Uh, but I mean, Herbert is a guy who was really, really praised uh, throughout the industry. And they they made some big gains, uh, big gains mm-hmm. in, uh, in strength and conditioning when he got hired there. So uh, my guess here is that they will like, try to you know get continuity from within the existing program and not blow it up unless Sharon has some you know, some contact outside uh, but look Herbert's a name so we'll see if you can maintain uh, a lot like I don't know what 10 15 years ago everybody picked off the uh, the Tommy Moffat tree at LSU mm-hmm. right everybody Saban had to have a Tommy Moffat guy and, and, and run kind of that that you know hatch system that, that, that he was running right and you know, Jimbo got Valoria, and and, and Saban got uh, when he went to Bama. Moffitt didn't come to Bama; he stayed at LSU. So he got uh, Scott Cochran, and, and you know Pruitt took his guy from there. So maybe Herbert has a tree that'll be really successful as well. Yeah, jo- yeah uh, it Trust. sounds like it's going to be Justin Trust. That's what yeah. the report that I saw was, which is the assistant strength coach. You know, Herbert's right hand man. So I don't know like, a damn thing about him other than that. You know? Neither do. I. <laughs> Here's what I know about him: he's the assistant. Herbert in Michigan strength program. So, and that's really as far as any of us could really know going into strength coaches. But I will say like, if you're, if you're promoting the guy from within, at least he's familiar with what you've been doing. And it's not like you're just bringing in somebody from the outside without any familiarity with what's been going on in that locker room or how you do things. So like strength coach is a huge hire. It is always going to be an important hire. And I think continuity there is probably better than completely starting over. Unless like you're saying, you've just got somebody, you know, who you're like, Oh, he's going to do a great job. He just hasn't gotten a chance yet. So I'm not, I, I think this is one of those things where like kind of, again, what Chip was doing, not to psychoanalyze an entire fan base, <laughs> but I think with Harbaugh leaving, there's just, you know, there's kind of the uncertainty and concern and then it's like things kind of snowball where Herbert's following him to L.A. Mentor's following him to L.A. So like these things all come in quick succession. And as a fan, you kind of start to panic a little bit. I think Ben Herbert's a tremendous strength coach. I think the results speak for themselves. If you look at what they've brought in, what they've developed and what they've sent out. I don't think he's irreplaceable. Like I think that there is a certain kind of style of strength coach and there are certain strategies that they use and methods that they use that have proven effective. Like Illinois strength coach came from the Ben Herbert tree at Michigan. He's done very good for Illinois. 
I don't think it's like some sort of secret ingredient in a recipe kind of situation. It's just a process. And if you learn that process, it can work out. And I think that some of this is just overreaction from Michigan fans who kind of have some sky is falling vibes. I'll say this. I do think it's a really important position. Like Staten, I know yes. we've had this conversation before. I think that's one of the biggest areas that the game has changed in the last 30 years. Like since I've been out before, it was kind of just a guy who, you know, probably had his routines and stuff laid out. But as like science has evolved and workout regimens have evolved and nutrition has evolved and when you work out, I think it is a really big hire. I will say too, energy is something like that strength coaches typically like motivators. They got, they're the Mm -hmm. guys that typically are very positive. They're always on you. They're yelling at you because I would say of the, the team, there's probably only like 20% that really enjoys working out maybe 30%, but the other 60 70 percent you got to get them working out and that's it's kind of a unique trait that you can get um that you have to have so it is an important hire like i don't want to diminish that no and the uh the connection with the team so many coaches will tell us that like i go to my strength coach to know what's going on with these guys because they spend so much time around them when it comes to getting the pulse figuring out how to motivate them properly to get them ready for game days and and to practice right then that's a, that's a huge part of it. So Sharon Moore's press conference, again, news broke on Friday late afternoon. Saturday was the press conference. And in attendance at the press conference was quarterbacks coach Kirk Campbell, wide receivers coach Ron Bellamy, special teams coordinator Jay Harbaugh, tight ends coach Grant Newsom, and defensive line coach Mike Elston. Tom, of that group, how many do you think are in the projection for what the staff might look like under Sharon Moore. Jay Harbaugh's gone. Right. And I think Um, Elston might be too. Elston might be too. I think a couple of guys you mentioned are in line for promotion to OC and maybe DC. But, um, you know, there's a name you didn't mention that wasn't there. Mike Hart. Uh Uh-huh. Clink, Steve Klinkscale, defensive backs coach and co-defensive coordinator, and Mike Hart, running backs coach, were not there. In this list of coaches we have discussed, their absence, yes, was noted. And and Mike Hart has been kind of vocal about how he thinks he's he can be a head coach and he wants to be a head coach. And he didn't even get interviewed or talked to about this once Harbaugh left. It was Sheryl Moore was the only person on staff that even had the quote-unquote interview for this. So I wouldn't be surprised if Mike Hart's following Harbaugh to the NFL or if he's looking for a job elsewhere at this point. But um, I I do think on the offensive side of the ball, you'll probably see some internal promotion. I think that the DC is the one job that is kind of up in the air because you've lost, you know, now you've lost your second coordinator in like what, three or four years. Both came from the Ravens kind of background. What I want to know is do you keep going back to that tree if you can because that has been very effective for you. You've got a lot of players returning on defense, and at least that way, schematically, you're not changing things up on them. But at the same time, part of the reason you went to that tree was because, as we've seen, it's a really good defensive scheme for slowing down offenses like Ohio State. Like The reason I think that Mike McDonald is going to be the head coach in Seattle for the NFL after you know in the next week or so is because they want somebody there who can stop San Francisco, who can stop the Rams, who can stop the Cardinals' offenses. And But now Ohio State, they're changing their offense. Mm. They're going to a power-rushing attack with a mobile QB and two battering Ram running backs. So 
it's going to be interesting to see what decision they make on that side of the ball if they want to do like because again Michigan pretty much revamped its defense in a way to stop Ohio State is Sharon Moore going to make his defensive coordinator position designed just to stop Ohio State or is he just going to get somebody he thinks is the best coach for the job and just can coordinate a good defense with the talent that they have that's going to be an interesting thing for me to follow I would not make my defensive coordinator higher based on what looks to be a one-year potential change in the offense for Ohio State. If you look at who Ohio State is recruiting at quarterbacks, they're recruiting throwers. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, it's not like Julian Sand or Aaron Nolan are elite-level runners. Like those guys are throwers, and they just you know signed Jeremiah Smith, one of the highest-rated receiver recruits we've ever seen. So, and, and a bunch of guys last year as well. So, I. I would not – in a year where I'm not totally sure that it matters who you hire at D.C., uh, you're going to be the underdog in that game. doesn't mean you can't win it, but you will be the dog. I, I'm not making my coordinator hire based on on that because long-term, they're still going to run Ryan Day's offense. I, did, I just think this was the most advantageous quarterback that you could probably go get uh, with what they had and – and not wanting to upset the room. You, know, you kind of needed a one-year guy. Well, so what do you think? What are, what are, what are the big question marks, bud? What, are, what, are, what names are you looking, and what are the, how do you tell a Michigan fan either it's going to be okay or, like, pay attention to this guy because this really matters? Like, the, the Elston one seems he's a defensive line coach. He's a recruiting coordinator. He's somebody with a lot of, like, great connections to Michigan. I could see him staying, and him staying, I think, would be a big win for Sharon Moore. In the assistant coaching carousel, I would say, like, if you keep him on board – that's an important thing. You think about the way these defensive lines have played, the way they've been developed, like ph- phenomenal if you're able to have that as a piece to be able to build moving forward. However, according to uh, 24-7 Sports, uh, Minter and Jim Harbaugh, quote, love Elston, and there could be some offers that come with him being able to join the traveling caravan. So that's the only one that I, w- I would offer for the purposes of conversation that I'm really keeping my eyes on. The rest is I'm just going to trust the process and Sharon Moore to, to play out. I mean, I, I, I think Elston, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say Elston's going to get paid either way. <laughs> Do you yeah, think there's I, any chance he would consider Jim Leonard if they went outside? Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if there's like a connection there. But, I don't yeah, think I there think, is, but other than he was at you know Big Ten and he's still in the Big mm-hmm. Ten, I th- I think honestly, Sharon's if he's if they don't go to the Ravens trees, he's likely to hire somebody he has previous connections to, somebody like Clint Hurt. That's a name that's also come up. Very interesting because they worked together. Louisville, Louisville, Charlie Strong staff, right? Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. Hell, maybe right. it'll be Charlie Strong. Danny, any other burning questions before we uh, hit the break and, and keep it moving with uh, the Sharon Moore era? What's your what's fair for Sharon Moore? Does he need to have X number of Big Ten championships or a Y number of yeah. playoff appearances in three years or five years? Like let's 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 throw something out there that we can clip and then come back and judge uh, two years down the line. If Sharon Moore doesn't win three consecutive national titles, his entire tenure is a failure. I, I, one thing we haven't touched on though that I'd like to bring up. Sure. And Bud, this I think will be interesting. I'm interested to see if anything changes in the recruiting approach. Because if you'll like what we talked about it last week, like when Jim showed up, there were the, you know, the satellite camps. There was the uh, sleeping over at people's houses, hanging up, climbing trees, all that kind of stuff. Jim was really involved 
in the recruiting because he was trying to get things going. But the last few years, like they had top five classes or top 10 classes the first few years he was there. Last couple of years, that's dropped off a little bit. They've been de- they've been getting good classes, but they've been more developing them than anything. But Shrell Moore was one of their better recruiters. I'm wondering if now that he's in the head coach role, you're going to see more of an active approach from the head coach in recruiting and to see if maybe they might start competing for some better, you know, more top five kind of classes again. So there is always a worry when you take one of your best recruiters and you make them the head coach uh, because head coaches by rule are not allowed to spend as many days on the road. They they have more limited communication. It's basically all the head coaches don't really want to work as much, and so they all get together and they pass these rules. Like, all right, we're banning ourselves from this, <laughs> right? Like last night, I, my, my wife kind of like we're, we're on the same level. She's like, all right, Daddy, you're in a timeout. Go eat your dinner. I was like, thank God. Okay, because like I, I just I, I am beat from wrestling these kids like crazy, and uh, so the counter to that though is that when you see a really good recruiter as an assistant get elevated. What makes them a good recruiter is oftentimes that like dogged relentlessness and they demand that of their staff. You know, like Kirby works his guys really hard. Mario works his guys really hard in recruiting. Like you, they, they grind on you and they demand that same level of effort and execution on the recruiting trail. So you know, if you're a Michigan assistant, maybe that's coming, right? Like is Michigan going to put in more effort and, and hey, like we have to elevate the recruiting here, uh, possibly. Now, the other aspect is something we've said on the show before, and some Michigan fans gave us some blowback for it, but I bet you they're not going to do it now. Recruits, I do think, have in the back of their mind, hey, Jim Harbaugh might be leaving for the NFL because he openly courted NFL jobs for almost a half decade, right? I don't think Sharon Moore is going anywhere anytime soon, and if he does a good job, I think recruits will have a little more certainty that he's going to be there if he does a good job, obviously, there's the, if he doesn't do a good job, how long uh, you know, do they give him? But we'll see. I mean, his first year, we've looked at the schedule, right? Texas, USC, at Washington, which I know might not be as tough, Oregon, and then on the road at Ohio State. Good luck. All right, so here's what I got. Sharon Moore has signed a five-year contract worth uh, approximately $6 million a year with bonuses paid out for Big Ten Championship, college football playoff appearances, national championships, and the like. It could go up a couple more million if they were to hit all of those different contract escalators. If you're Sharon Moore, I think you cannot go into year five without a playoff appearance. Oh, God, yeah. Okay, so you let's better not go into year two without a playoff appearance. There's oh, 12 teams no, getting no, in. No, 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 if no. Nine and three, we think is getting in. Then yeah, oh, you're better. You're better be getting into the playoffs in the All first right, couple so of years. So let me back it up. Sharon Moore needs a playoff appearance to get to year four. It's on the cusp. It's right there. But yes, if they finish year three without reaching the playoff, they might make a move. Is it a close? Like, I mean. It's very difficult to foresee that happening without them also having years like outside of the top 25. Yeah. Right. Like, are you finishing 13th, 14th consistently and just narrowly missing? I I don't think Michigan is the type of school that traditionally would get rid of somebody if you have three consecutive top 15 finishes. Uh, However, that is a very like narrow window that you're just missing it by a gnat's ass and, and not, you know what I'm saying? So I would say, 
without knowing the exact finishes, I, I would say yeah. If you don't make a college ball playoff in your in your first three years in the a first twelve three years. format, okay, yeah. you should be making the playoff next year. Possibly. I mean, I don't, well, I don't think that's like. I mean, Danny just read the schedule. Yeah, I don't think. I don't. The I'm not scared of USC if I'm Michigan. I'm not scared of Washington if I'm Michigan. You just beat Are Washington when Texas? they were good. Are you afraid of Ohio yeah, Texas, State? Texas is a Oregon? problem. Ohio State will be a problem. Oregon, well, yeah, but that's nine and three. Let's play this game then because uh, I I saw Magadow over the weekend who's crushing it, making all these social videos for us, and he's like, what do you think their win total will be? And he thought it would be eight. I thought it would be higher. I, I was more of like the probably nine. It'll be nine. juice under. Eight yeah. and a half. Maybe eight and a half heavy juice over. I, I they're losing a lot too. Not only I mean we got their entire defense coming back. And that team, yeah. nobody was talking about how great Michigan was because its offense was phenomenal. Like the big question we had all about: Well, can they score points against Washington if they get into that? Can they keep up? Can they outscore Ohio State? That defense is back. They've got their entire defensive line back. They've got both their safeties. They've got one of the best corners in the country. They're going to be fine. I think we're kind of panicking a bit too much. They should be. Um, the one thing I noticed about their schedule is that there are three games that are legitimate toss-ups, and they're probably a dog at least once at home, either to Oregon or Texas or both, and they will be a dog no, at Ohio State. They're not going to be a dog at home. You don't Maybe think it'll be a dog at Texas or, or Oregon? Maybe to Texas early in the year. I don't think by the time they play. All right, like, like a, a slight dog. Let's just call them two tosses, and you're, yeah. you're probably what? Five points at Ohio be, State. Michigan's not going to be an underdog at home. Unless the bottom falls out there, not going to be an underdog at home to Oregon. All right, Who wins up. more games next season, Alabama or Michigan? Ooh. Alabama's probably got the easier schedule, doesn't it? They're probably going to be about the same. Yeah. Alabama's win total at FanDuel Sportsbook, make every moment more, is nine and a half with the over at minus 106 and the under at minus 122. Again, Alabama's win total is at nine and a half. Tom, I, I, did you say nine was what you think it'll be? With And then the let the market decide the prices? Mm-hmm. Man, I don't know. Like I, I think we can agree that they're coin flips in terms of Michigan-Ohio State-ish, but uh, I mean, like, I can't get to where I'm making Michigan uh, right now with these rosters a, a favorite at home o- over Texas. Um, oh, give me Michigan as a dog. Come on. Let's go. It'd, be, it'd probably be like, like Michigan 1, Michigan 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. By the way, Chip, what you said when you gave the contract details, I think that's another reason why it made sense. Oh, yeah. Like the buyout's reasonable. It's not breaking the bank. A lot of incentives. If they would have gone outside, that would not have been the case. So I think it made it a really easy, common sense decision. The, the point I was kind of thinking about making and did a really clumsy job of making is that there's no sort of middle ground opponent here for Michigan. Like I see three games that are quite losable. And then I do see probably eight games maybe seven games where they should just physically overwhelm the opponent. Right. They, like, they should be able to very Fresno quickly. can't block them. Arkansas state can't block them. Yeah. Minnesota can't block them. Washington lost everybody. So I'm going to throw in the Washington can't block them. Illinois at Illinois could be kind of tricky. If Illinois can score and their offensive line is much better. Uh, you know, Michigan state again, probably not in year one, although I, I do ex- expect they're better. 
Uh, you know, USC will see USC definitely offensive line. <laughs> USC <laughs> will not block them. <laughs> I don't know about that. It, it, Indiana Northwestern. So that, like Michigan probably plays three top, certainly three top ten opponents. Yes, and I don't think they play anybody else who is a top fifteen level team. Give me Michigan with more wins than Alabama. I think I'll take Alabama until I see Michigan's quarterback situation. Yeah, even though I'm not a big Milrow guy, I have more confidence in him than, than Orgy at this point. Yeah, the Chipolytics love when you're able to get to seven and eight on the surefire wins, and then you just give them half the toss ups. I think they could flirt with nine ten. Well, quarterback's going to be huge here. Like, what is what is Michigan going to do with QB this year? Well, I'll tell you. Out? Well, I'll tell you what. I seen Sharon Moore as an acting head coach run the ball thirty times in a row, and I seen Sharon Moore as an acting head coach have to deal with an offense where JJ McCarthy could put my eyes not reporting zero weight on his plant leg against Maryland and still be able to put together game plans to go and win football games. So, yeah, I think he can figure it out one way or another. We'll see. All right. I think Alex Orgy can be very much a Miro-esque player for them. Yeah. Smash. That was one of my fa- that was one of my favorite shorts of the year, by the way. All those Bama fans telling me Orgy was not a good guy like, like to, to approximate Milrow on the scout team. Like he's the best guy to approximate Milrow on the scout team. What, like, <laughs> he basically is Milrow. Yeah. <laughs> like, huge. He's fast. Throwing? Major question mark. Yeah. Okay. Check some boxes there. So um the coaching carousel, and again, Tom doesn't, you know, I'm sure Tom knows what's lurking around the corner, but I'm going to say right now, the coaching carousel at the head coach level is done enough that on Wednesday, we'll be doing our coaching cycle, coaching carousel superlatives for the 2023-2024 cycle. So that was, of course, you know, the job at Alabama came open. The job at Michigan came open. Washington came open as a domino result. And so we're going to go and we're going to look at all of the changes, all of the new coaches, like even all the way back to our Jonathan Smith at Michigan State. And we're going to start to highlight some of the best and brightest, some of the biggest questions. So full coaching carousel recap coming on Wednesday. But you know what is still spinning? It's that assistant coaching carousel so coming up on the other side we spent so much time on the cover three podcast talking about iowa's offensive coordinator and now we know the post brian ferentz future we'll get into that and more next mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones blue nile has something she'll adore need it fast most items can ship overnight Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. I'm just absolutely floored during that last break here on YouTube. Obviously, you know, we've got the great promotion for the Super Bowl that you can see on CBS. But as I was looking for our information uh, at FanDuel Sportsbook, uh, you can bet on the Shrine Bowl. Anybody got any locks on 
West minus one and a half over under of 37 and a half for uh, the Shrine Bowl coming up on Thursday night. Who are the QBs in the Shrine? That's what I was just asking too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hey, we'll put a pin in that. Maybe come back to it on Thursday as part of the mailbag episode. Since again, it's not kicking off till Thursday night, but just just amazing that um, that's an opportunity. It's like Devin Leary's on one side. Are you guys going to watch the Shrine Bowl for real? What? Like you guys are going to watch the Shrine Bowl? It depends. Yeah, yeah I mean, on Thursday night, I'll probably watch it. Nothing else is on. Thursday night, the college hoop slate doesn't really heat up till late, and I don't always stay up for all the late Pac-12 games. So, yeah, I might throw it on for a half, sort of see Let's what's see going who's on. Playing on Thursday here. Hold on. Let's yeah. See. No. All right. I, mean, we'll I believe Thursday is the return of FBI on CBS. Of course. <laughs> no, oh, yeah, I'll definitely be watching the Shrine Bowl on Thursday. Yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit soft. Okay, so. Back to the assistant coaching carousel. Why don't we take a spin on said coaching carousel? So after an extensive search, it sure seems like we have come to a conclusion for the next Iowa offensive coordinator, uh, Brian Ferentz, out at the end of the season. And now it looks like Tim Lester will be taking over as offensive coordinator. I believe we're still in the uh, multiple reports stage of this. But the former uh, Western Michigan head coach had been on the Packers staff for the 2023 season. Um, other stops before then also you know, kind of built him out, uh, the kind of track record that allows you to be able to move up in the industry. So, Tom, what, what, are, what are we to take away from the hiring of Lester as the next Iowa offensive coordinator? I was surprised by it. Because, I mean, we did talk last week on Thursday's show. It sounded like it was going to be Kevin Johns. That was a name that had been reported. And then the other name I had heard connected to the job was Luke Getze. I had not heard Tim Lester's name connected to the job from anybody. So I was kind of surprised when it broke over the weekend. But I think if you're an Iowa fan, you're probably not that excited about it. I think Kevin Johns was the more kind of enticing option just because of what he was able to do at Duke with Riley Leonard and that kind of stuff. And it felt like it was going to be a different offense. Tim Lester, to me, feels like it's going to be a similar approach to what Iowa did. But there are differences to me in what Brian Ferentz and Tim Lester do. Like, first of all, as I said last week, I don't care who you hire, it's going to be an upgrade. And I do think this is an upgrade at the OC position because if you look at what Tim Lester did at Western Michigan, like he took over for P.J. Fleck and he was largely successful until his final season there where they just roster-wise, they didn't have it and the bottom fell out and he got fired. But in their passing attack, first of all, like he recruited Jaden Reed to Western Michigan out of the suburbs of Chicago. Jane Reed had like a freshman All-America season, transfers to Michigan State, ends up getting drafted by the Packers. He inherited a team with Dwayne Eskridge, who then ends up being a second-round pick a few years later after playing in that Western Tim Lester's offense. He recruited Sky Moore, a very low-rated three-star out of Ohio, who was like a cornerback in high school, puts him at wide receiver when he gets into college, has like 800 yards as a freshman, and then goes on to be a second-round pick of the Kansas City Chiefs. Tim Lester has produced more wide receiver talent in a couple years at Western Michigan than Brian Ferentz did in his entire tenure at Iowa. And part of that is, if you look at the way Western Michigan's offense operates, they are run-heavy. In fact, they ran the ball more during Lester's tenure as the head coach than Iowa did. 
but they actually have a passing attack that realizes that it doesn't really have difference makers at the receiver position, so it schemes them open. And it's also a little bit more vertical and down the field and aggressive. Like if you look, I looked at all this up, the average air yards on Western Michigan passes during Lester's head coaching tenure was over 10. That's much, and it was also 1.2 yards past the sticks, past the first down marker. Iowa's offense is ranked 116th nationally at 8.1 air yards per attempt and 0.7 behind the sticks. So they were throwing short and kind of relying on yak when they didn't have the guys that you want to have relying on yak outside of your tight ends. But I just think that one coach I talked to, because I can't say I'm overly familiar with Tim Lester's scheme, but one coach I talked to who had faced both Iowa and faced both Western Michigan during their tenure said that that's the primary difference. Iowa ran a lot of flood concepts that work, but they weren't really explosive and they weren't, you know, like it wasn't really, the spacing was kind of always a little too tight. The Western Michigan pass concepts that they use do a much better job of getting guys open downfield. And the other thing to look at, too, is if you look at the quarterbacks he had at Western Michigan from John Wasink to Caleb Ellaby, two different quarterbacks. And he had success with both of them. Like Ellaby had a bigger arm and he had more legs. Wasink was more of like a West Coast kind of accuracy, short throw kind of guy. But he was able to mold his offenses around his talent. And I feel like as I've watched Iowa in the Brian Ferentz tenure, we're running one style of offense. You're fitting into it. We're not changing things up based on who we have. We're just so I do think there's going to be more of a dynamic approach, which is not to say he's going to come in and I was going to be throwing the ball all over the field. I just think that there's going to be more of a balance to the offense in that defenses will have to worry more about the wide receivers in the offense and the passing game because they just do a better job with their routes to get guys open. I mean, does it matter? Also, well, all right, does anybody <laughs> know how awesome stuff, and that's all great? And I agree with him. But does, like, does anybody know how many offensive coordinators now they, he how what offensive coordinator is Lester for Kirk Ferentz across his twenty five year career third? as head coach? He's the fourth. Fourth, okay, yeah. Ken O'Keefe, Brian Ferentz, Tim Lester, and why can't I remember? Oh, Tim Beck. No, Greg Davis. Greg Davis. Sorry. Oh, Texas got confused there for a second. Yeah. So I think that's really like when Bud says doesn't matter, that's what you're pointing to, right? That it's still Kirk's offense and the hire does not suggest your expectation should change. Well, and also uh, uh, even if Lester is good at developing receivers, Iowa is terrible at recruiting offense outside of the offensive line based, like over the last five years. So he's not walking into a team that in my opinion has a bunch of misused personnel. Right, I think it's going to take some time. There may be some ability to to scheme up some stuff that that Brian did not do well. Also, how much of this is there? I mean, is is, is Kirk's thumb on the scales or not, or does he actually let Tim Lester cook? I, I don't know. Maybe he will. I I just I don't think that they have a whole lot of guys who scare you at receiver. I mean, we've talked but, to other coaches who are like, yeah, they kind of recruited a Mac level at receiver. So, but that's why that's why I brought those guys up though, because right. They were Mac Jaden Reed was Mac not a high Jaden Reed was not a highly rated prospect out of high school. Sky Just, Moore wasn't a highly rated prospect. Like he found under whatever utilized talent, put him in an offense and developed them. And if you're Iowa, you don't want to bring in an offensive coordinator who's going to need to rely on high end receiver talent because you don't have any. But Tim Lester has a track record proving he can turn that talent and make useful players out of him. 
Iowa fans are under the impression that Caleb Brown is a five-star receiver. No, was a five-star <laughs> receiver, but he did not play at Ohio State. He didn't do a damn thing last year at Iowa. I know he was injured part of the time, uh, but I, I again, if you go somewhere as a five-star receiver and you don't play, you still have some ability, but clearly, like you've not filtered out or filtered through to be a, a top-level guy. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't consider Caleb Brown a five-star type receiver. You know. Um, the schedule is manageable somewhat. Iowa State, Troy, and Illinois State in the non-con. So at least tough defenses there. And then at Minnesota, at Ohio State, host Washington, at Michigan State, host Northwestern, host Wisconsin, at UCLA, at Maryland. You dodge Penn State, you dodge Oregon, you dodge Michigan, uh, you dodge UCLA, but some of those teams can play some defense. Oh, and they get Nebraska too, but that that, that is at home. Um, I don't think they're winning 10 this year. Is Deacon also, Hill going to get the job, or does Cade just be able to get that job when he comes back from injury? Because we do have Cade McNamara Cade. back for a sixth year uh, after being injured this this year. Who who? If we're going to have a coach that can under <laughs> Danny, if we're going to have a coach that can develop wide receivers, who's throwing him the football? I mean. I would hope it's Cade McNamara, not to throw Deacon Hill under the bus, but we saw a lot of it, and it wasn't pretty when the opportunity was there. Um, Tim Lester was the coach 2019 when your boy was on a call the game against uh, Central Michigan. It was Jim McElwain's first year. John Wasink was the quarterback. I liked him personality-wise. He gave me a hat, which I will be forever. I'm a hat guy. Sweet, like camo he trucker hat with the Broncos logo. You know, former QBs got to look after each other. But like I, the Iowa fans that think they were going to get something, I don't know, better or bigger or bigger splash, I think are just misguided. But I do think he can tweak things that will keep Kirk Ferentz happy. You know, like I, you can still run the football. Look at the Lions. The Lions had two 1,000 yard rushers in the NFL, and they're not perceived as like old school running the football, like boring. You can still run the football and be effective and get creative. And I think that's hopefully what Lester could bring to Iowa. Hey, you, you can run the football and still have modern day passing concepts instead of the same stuff they were using 15 years ago. And modern day is, blocking concepts and yeah. different, you know, angles to get the guys on. So I, I think it comes with all of it. O line returns a lot too. So mm -hmm. and gets Caden Proctor. Yeah. And they're adding him. Caden Proctor. But I do think too, like we mentioned, you know, does it matter with the offensive coordinators? Like they've been dog shit the last couple of years. And there's absolutely no way you can say they've been anything but but for most of the last 15 years, Iowa's been a team that scores between 27 and 31 points per game. Like, they can have success. And another thing, again, I was talking to one coach about this who was very critical of Brian Ferentz's uh, schemes and his game plan, but he also said that with the quarterbacks he had there the last few years, oh. he doesn't know many offensive coordinators who could have done a whole hell of a lot better with that. So, yeah, like, I'm not sure McNamara is any good. Well, he wasn't talking He's about Kane. He was Deacon talking Hill. about Deacon Hill and uh, oh, Spencer. Oh, sure, Peters. better than Hill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, you, if you gave Iowa fans five and three against Iowa State at Minnesota, host Washington at Michigan State, host Wisconsin at UCLA, at Maryland, host Nebraska, are they taking that? I'm giving you the 0 and 1, obviously, already on, on Ohio State. So that, that would be a nine and three, or a nine and, excuse me, eight and four type season in your first year without the Big Ten West schedule. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you take that. 
Wouldn't you? Yes. Five and three against that? I think I would, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, honestly, just like Cyhawk's probably more important, you know? <laughs> like the, those those very few games that can kind of tip your fans' sentiment uh, one way or the other. Coming up on the other side, a few more notes from the assistant coaching carousel and 8,900. I mean, we got to talk about 8,900. Next. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Man, I just, I think about how many times, and, and, and you know, Tom, you'd mentioned this as well. Somebody gets a little bit you know, later in life and, you know, they, they start to view what they want to do with, you know, their, their, their time. And they're like, man, I, I would love to go to Arizona, you know? What would be better for my skin than just getting out there and the sunshine and the golf and and coaching the Wildcats offense? Let's go! Dino's back, baby. Dino Babers lands as the Arizona offensive coordinator for Brent Brennan's staff. Um, Danny, we, we don't need to like go like deep on this. Obviously, he's a fan favorite of the Cover Three podcast. Good Arizona offensive performances will be celebrated with Dino drops when applicable. But uh, but what do you make about Babers deciding that he's going to stick around? I feel like he could have been great on TV or you know yeah. done a lot of things around the game. But now he's going to be a, a power conference offensive coordinator there in Tucson. Two thousand must have been a heck of a year. That was the year I believe that they were together at Arizona. Dino Babers Ooh. and Brent Brennan. Uh, and I mean, coaching is all about relationships. Sometimes you hit it off with certain guys. It does feel though, like in my mind, I picture this playing out because Debo Dino's what 62, 63. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's, got, he's made a lot of money. I don't like, but these guys love coaching and he's looking for opportunities. But when that job came open, it just feels to me like Dino, either he called him directly or had his agent reach out and was like, I, my, my hunch is he probably called I was like, Hey, what are you guys going to do? You know, you got somebody and it worked out, you know, I, I'll be curious to see, you know, what his role is. I know it's offensive coordinator, but like, is it his offense or these his things? And maybe it does work better there than it would with better athletes that you can get at Syracuse. I don't think that Babers has whatever sort of edge you thought he had as part of that. Like his, uh, for obvious reasons, he did try to distance himself from being the Bryles part of it, but he did have, you know, some some spread, um, some veer and shoot. He had, you know, some uh, some tempo that they played with. But I don't, I didn't see Syracuse in late. In you know, we obviously saw from that even like Sean Lewis was there. He goes off and gets the um, the job. I did not see an, a, a definitive edge for uh for babers in those last couple of years but i still think he's a really good offensive coach just kind of wish he'd been the special teams coordinator i know (laughs) because then we know they would be well coached Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i do think i do think what arizona can do and then being in the big 12 looking to where you're recruiting I think his offense and that Baylor style offense is better suited for this job than it was in Syracuse. And I just think that now that he's only in charge of running the offense, he 
I would be more optimistic about that. Like when he was head coach of Syracuse, there were so many other things that he had going on that he had to deal with where I don't really put the offense on him. I, I mean, we, I would assume they're still going to run primarily Brent's offense, right? Mm -hmm. like, they've been a really good team offensively for quite some time now. San Jose State. At, at, yes. Yeah, the last couple of years. Yeah. Brent Brennan knows what he's doing. So, my guess here is like that's a pretty proven offensive coach who's done it with multiple different quarterbacks, you know, different offensive line combos and, and made it work. And that's a guy in whom I have a lot of trust. So if he likes Dino, I'm going to go ahead and give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, Bud, you like Cincinnati's defensive coordinator hire? I do, man. Like, so uh, Tyson Veit is a guy who was at Toledo in like the early 2010s and got got hired by Mike Cam Matt Campbell to be uh, their linebackers coach and then got promoted, you know, within that more responsibility. He's always a, a guy who's come up in, in recruiting. You know, it's like, oh, I, I talked to Coach Vite, like a guy that kind of beats the trail, you know, pretty good bit. And since then, he hired him as DC. So if you're Cincy, like it's your second year in a new league. You did not have a great defensive uh, season this year. It wasn't terrible, but uh, you get a guy that knows the league pretty well, obviously having worked at Iowa State for eight years. And – Iowa State is a system that a lot of people come and try to copy defensively. So how do you kind of import that system? Hire a guy who's been like their number two for, for almost a decade. Uh, I, I think that's probably a pretty savvy hire by, by a Cincy program that really struggled in their first year in the Big 12 and would probably have somebody who knows the league better now. So, yeah, I, I think that's, that's probably pretty smart. And I wasn't sure how the Cincinnati thing was going to work out, but we'll, we'll see. Need to start coming after Iowa State's offensive coaches, like their QB coach. They produce guys who get to the Super Bowl. Dude, do you, think, do you think that there are Cincinnati and Iowa State talent-wise operating in basically the same bucket? If you were to like put the Big Twelve into tiers, like current roster, I think yes. Current roster, because then ceiling, it, no. Well, right. that's well, that's the idea. Is like current roster, yes, because Iowa State has been able to overcome these talent deficits against the league that had Texas and Oklahoma in it along with everybody else. So I totally get the idea of trying to, you know, take from that. If you're operating at the similar talent deficit, Texas and Oklahoma are gone, but you're, you're bringing in Utah, you're bringing in Arizona, you're bringing in some quality. That's going to make it a little bit more difficult as well. I agree. It, it's, I did the, uh, the big 12 show uh, with, with, with Tim Fitzgerald uh, of our Kansas state side on Friday. And it's, we kind of played like, all right, who can not win the league game this year? And the list is not real long. We, we played it on this show. It was uh, – it's wide open. I, I genuinely feel in the Big 12, nobody's going to recruit at a super high level. It's not – like, I think if you have one of those top 18 or 20 jobs, it's about going to get as many freaks as possible and then fitting what you do to that. I think if you're a Big 12 coach, you run your system and you better have a damn good understanding – of what weaknesses you can tolerate and which ones you can't. It's like you recruit to that system. Like instead yeah. of the, instead yeah. of the Georgia, Ohio state, we just amass as much talent as possible and, you know, figure it out. The, the Iowa state or the Cincinnati is this is what we do. And let's make sure that every single scholarship is spent on somebody who can fit what we do. As you go down to star ratings, the, the prospects have far greater flaws. Right. And so I think, how do I say this? Recruiting is important at the non-top 20 jobs. But I think star chasing, to, to steal a phrase, is 
a greater mistake at those type of jobs because you sometimes might get guys who do have some talent, but they may not fit into your system. Oh, the, the conference of OKGs. Yeah, exactly. It really is. That's awesome. Um, I, Danny, you have been a, uh, a connoisseur of Wisconsin football ever since the hire of Luke Fickle. You know, you've been, sort of kept us abreast of things. Do you believe that the addition of Alex Grinch as a safeties coach is uh, like the our, difference? That's the difference. It's going to tip the scales to their favor because those safeties are going to be dialed in. (laughs) Is this an open box special? I mean, there was a time when Alex Grinch was at Ohio State, Oklahoma, USC, and the Trojans' defensive woes, it could be alleged, is a larger thing than just one coach. So are the Badgers getting themselves, you know, one of those TVs that might have a little ding or a little scratch on the back, but it still works. Picture yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it goes back to exactly what Bud was saying. I don't think he had the stars that he needed on the defensive side of the ball to succeed at USC. I mean, you saw Lincoln. They went out and spent a lot on Jordan Addison, Caleb Williams, the offense side. I know they got Bear Alexander, but it feel, felt like they were a little bit far away. Um, I kid about the difference. Uh, I still think it's like, but I do think what you're saying though, Chip, I mean, you don't get to have that reputation and have some of the success you do without having some success, you know? So like, I think it's a good hire. Like it makes sense. It's a landing spot for someone yeah. who at one point was identified as being a really sharp coach all the way back to his time with Mike Leach at Washington state. I remember that's when his name first kind of flashed on my radar. And Luke Fickle's not going to run practice the way that Lincoln Riley runs practice. <laughs> right. Or ran practice, if, if you believe the step out of USC. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be different now, which I think it really could be. Um, this is a replacement, I believe, for uh, Colin Hitchler, who went to Alabama. And that was seen as like a major coup uh, for Kalen DeBoer's staff to get him because he's kind of a, a rising star and a good coach and recruiter for the Tide. So, uh Overall, probably a downgrade for Wisconsin. That's probably what happens when Alabama takes one of your coaches. But I don't think it has to be a failure because, you know, outside of Riley, he was a pretty well-respected coach. And it's not like he's only coached for good defensive coaches. I mean, he did a damn good job for Mike Leach, which Mm -hmm. is another air raid style attack. Now, he is, by the way, if you think about it, what's Wisconsin running? Up to no air raid. So. Mm Having a guy who has an experience as a defensive coach working opposite of that type of offense might also add some value here for the Badgers. Yeah, just Bud hit the nail on the head with the first thing he said. Like, we talk about culture in the locker room. It matters on a coaching staff, too. Alex Grinch had success as a coach when he was in programs that practiced defense. Didn't have nearly as much success at USC. Prioritize defense, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Not just drawing up plays or trying to build a football team. I didn't think that we needed to like spend a bunch of time diving into it, but it was certainly a point of conversation. wasn't sure if there was a, uh, you know, any any lingering thoughts. But you know, as the the story and the I guess scandal is unfolding, that former LSU wide receiver Kayshawn Booty um, illegally placed bets because he was underage with a username that included his name right there. Um, and it is really, that should have been his name. It was really the total that caught a lot of people's eyes because over the course of about a year, I think it's 14 months, um, 8,900 wagers. I've seen some high volume 
reports, you know, in my day. It's roughly 24, 25 a day, right? And that yeah. did the math. Now, no, let's let's let's, <laughs> yes. let's cut Cash out of break here because we, we don't really know what is considered a, a wager. Like it was revealed that he was he was popping some some eight leg parlays. Like, is each leg a separate bet? In that case, I I, I could see this happening. Maybe he is a big uh, live tennis wagering guy, right? Like that. You can bet after every point, after every set, certainly possible. Uh, that may, maybe he's somebody who enjoys playing some online blackjack, right? Is every hand uh, a wager? Is Shoot, is every bet a wager? If you double down, is that a separate wager? There are all kind of potential things. This certainly seems like a lot, but we don't we don't know uh, that it's a lot. Um, player props, maybe if he's playing some DFS, is, is each person you select a separate wager? I, I, I don't know. I, I, what about the numbers of what he was – the numbers. <laughs> um, so according to dollars, the dollar amounts. Well, so he put a to in total, according to the affidavit, he put in around 132,000, right? right? And he took out 50 some odd thousand. Yes. He, his overall winnings were like 350, but his net was negative 80, 80. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess it's relatable. That looks like an R is for recreation kind of guy. <laughs> In terms of the his win percentages, his in, his out, he he probably gave a little, took a little, you know, it's 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 probably uh, it's probably riding the live bets is where this had to have really settled in. What what happens on Thursdays during the season after our live show with the lines? They start they to move, right? Yeah. Why? What happens? Because the limits go up, and who hits them when the limits go up? The syndicates. Gang Sean Booty. <laughs> but I'm just going to say 8,900 bets on one account. I don't think only one person was using that account. That's all I'm going to say. I, I'm not going to speculate on that. Um, I do think if you deposit 132 large on your first deposit, you may get some eyeballs on the account. <laughs> yes. at almost anywhere. Like I, my, my guess here, that, that's a, that's a good little deposit. Um, but who knows? So in the eight, you so do by get the hundred percent match bonus up to two hundred dollars. So you got to put a hundred grand on there. So then it's really a hundred thousand two hundred. Um, in the eighty nine hundred, according to court documents, seventeen of them were on college football games, and I think a half dozen actually included LSU. And I believe I saw one of them was like a player prop for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And in that game, he had two catches for 20 yards. It was the Florida State game in, in the Superdome mm -hmm. to open the, the, the 2022 season. And no wonder he was sulking. He, he was like, <laughs> yell, like, man, like him and, and uh, neighbors were not happy with Daniels that day because it, again, this was the 2022. Daniels would not pull the trigger when guys were open. And then Kayshawn actually dropped a pretty open touchdown in the end zone. So he, he was most likely angry at himself there. Um, but man, if he had been on the team this year, he would have cashed big, dude. Because like Daniels actually pulled the trigger on those deep balls. It, it, we've we've taught these kids for years to bet on themselves, and then when they do it, they get in trouble. Yeah, come on, that's that's that is the kind of confidence that you want, you know, in your locker room. Just a, what is Picket? I think it's a competitor, like a tracking app. I don't know. Oh, okay. We'll no see. free ads. No free ads. No free ads.
That's right, because we only talk about FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. All right, so on Wednesday, full coaching carousel recap. We'll be giving out some superlatives. We'll be naming uh, you know, some of our, our, our favorite hires, our biggest questions moving forward, uh, putting a wrap to what has been a monumental coaching carousel. Again, coaching carousel recap, superlatives, and more coming up on Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fennell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Okay, Sean, let me know what you got on Duke Virginia Tech tonight. See y'all.